Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Just noting that we are moving into the final stretch of our series on Acts, God's kingdom mission for the church. Last week we looked at Acts 19. We looked at a number of things that happened when the kingdom of God drew near to Ephesus. We said that happened in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but we can expect when the kingdom of God comes near, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, these kinds of things happen among us. Today I want to do I want to hit pause on Acts and do what we call an interlude, just interjecting something. And so I've been sensing in recent weeks the importance of some practical teaching on friendship with God and developing a history with God and spiritual formation that flows from your relationship with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do that today. We're going to look at a few biblical practical tools that God uses to change our lives, to help us weed out certain things from the garden of our hearts and to plant and water new things. And as we say around here at All Saints, we are committed to spiritual farming, aren't we? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, he talks to young Timothy and he calls him to be a spiritual farmer to be tough, to be persistent in cultivating the church and cultivating the life of the gospel in the church. Now, I want to say up front, we're going to look at these things, but they're tools. I've got an image up here that I thought was rather beautiful, this man who's been laboring in this field. You can see some weather rolling in. He's got to put up with the weather, and yet the sun is shining, and look, he's got a field there ready to harvest. And so I want to invite us today into cultivating our hearts, to being spiritual farmers, like the Apostle Paul says, to plant, to weed, to sow that seed, to water, and then endure the different seasons. Now we're going to look at things like prayer and fasting, and these are not the focal point. Right? The focus is not prayer. As wonderful as prayer is, or fasting, those are just tools. It's a means to an end. And that end is having Christ formed in us. And the end is friendship with God. This amazing, astounding thing that God opens up to us through the blood of Christ. Friendship with him. Friendship with the holy God. Now I want to remind us up front too. Did you know God wants this more than you do. God wants this on your behalf and my behalf. He doesn't need it, but he burns with zeal for you and me to be close to him, to be friends with him, to have a lifelong history develop with him. He is more committed to that than we are. Is that good news? In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, the Lord longs to be gracious to us. Think about that. God, the God of heaven, longs to be gracious to us. 
He's zealous about our spiritual formation. Colossians 1.29, Paul says this, that we labor according to God's power that is at work within us. But it's a cooperation, isn't it? God supplies everything we need. He fills us with his mighty spirit, the spirit of the resurrection. He says, I'm going to form Christ in you. I long to be gracious to you. I started a good work in you that I will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. But then there's some things up to us to respond, right? Jesus says we ask, we seek, and we knock so that we can receive and so that we can find and so that the door will be open to us. So let's look at the first thing here. It's prayer rooted in scripture. And Lord, I just ask, we depend on you, we look to you. So we open the scriptures. Would you speak to us and teach us? And would we leave today, Lord, desiring deeper friendship with you, to develop history with you in the coming years and decades. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at prayer rooted in scripture. That's the first thing. And we're going to spend more time here than the other things. Why? Because prayer is the root of all things, isn't it? Prayer, talking with God, listening to God, This is the essence of friendship. It's the beginning, the middle, the end of growth. Prayer fuels our relationship with God, our history with God. And you know if you've been around here more than five minutes, we are committed to praying the scriptures, aren't we? Not just reading the Bible, not just studying the Bible, not having a quiet time with a commentary, but we actually believe that praying the Bible, interacting with God through the words of Scripture, really is the most powerful way to pray and the guaranteed way to develop a history with God. It's work though, isn't it? Would you agree? Look at John 5, 37 to 39. We were talking about this with the young adults last week. John 5, 37, 39. can hear some of you thumbing to those pages there. I'll have a slide up here. This is something incredible that Jesus says in the Gospel of John. And he's basically talking to the Bible scholars of the day, the people who know the Bible better than anyone else. They know the Old Testament inside and out. And he says something to them, and within his words to them, there's something really important about praying the Bible, about our view of the Bible. Jesus says this, John 5, 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his form. These are people that read the Bible day in, day out, And you do not have his word abiding in you because you do not believe him whom he has sent. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What do you see there, friends? The scriptures are not an end to themselves, are they? You don't have, like these guys that he's addressing, they're having a relationship with a book. 
They know the Torah. They know the Old Testament. They know the Hebrew Scriptures back and forward better than anyone. And he's saying, you don't even have God's word in you. What? They were having a relationship with a book, with written words of Scripture. And what does Jesus say is the antidote to that at the end of the section we just read? What's he say? You've got to come to me to have life. And so he's showing us here that the purpose of Scripture is to reveal him and to bring us into living contact with him. Do you see that? This, if you'll sit with this, some of you have already got it, but for some of you, the lights may be turning on. This will change the way that you read the Bible for the rest of your life. Every time you open the Scriptures, it's an opportunity for you to interact with God. The written word brings us to the living word. Now that can sound kind of mystical, but it's really not. Scripture is given to us, given to the saints, for us to come to Jesus through the words of Scripture and pray them to him. We talk about it numerous times, but with all the stirring of revival and the things that are happening in Asbury and other places, I want to just remind us, I want us to call us to these practices, praying the Bible day in and day out. It is what enables us to be effective, fruitful farmers. And there are some times when it's easy or easier and other times where it's just plain tough. Would you agree? I mean, you may wake up tomorrow morning, Monday, and you've got time carved out, or maybe it's afternoon or evening, whenever you do it, you may open your Bible, and you're just acutely aware of the presence of Jesus there. That's wonderful. But then the other 364 days of the year, right, it can be work. It can be discipline. It can mean scheduling it to happen. But friends, he is there. When we open the scriptures, he is the living word, and he's there. What I want us to do here, I actually want to take a couple of passages For those of us that this is new to, I want us to practice this for a minute, right? So I'm going to put a psalm up here so that we can practice this together. And I've shared with you, let's look at Psalm 92 first, and then we'll go to that Psalm 103. I've shared with you that I have to find creative ways to read my Bible. And anybody else kind of get numb or a little bit burned out with certain sections of the Bible besides me, your pastor? And so I have to find ways. If the book of Psalms is the church's prayer book, right? It's given to us, and people have prayed it. Christ prayed it. The early church prayed it. People have been praying it for 3,000 years. 2,000 years of church history, people are praying this. But I have to find kind of tricky ways to read the Psalms. I've shared with some of you, I read them backwards, Or I'll read them, I'll start right in the middle, Psalm 75, and I'll read this way and that way. So I've been doing that this last year. I've kind of gotten back into the Psalms, and I've been reading them backwards. Because oftentimes when I start at the beginning, I may stall out about Psalm 60. And so I'm real familiar with 1 through 60. So I want to get familiar with 150 to 100. All right? So what we're going to do, we're going to look here, and what I want you to do is I want you to look at this just like it's Monday morning, right? You're with the Lord. Maybe you're with a friend or your spouse praying the scriptures, but I want you to find an arrow prayer in this text right here. Find something 
that pops out. And if it doesn't pop out, just grab something, right? Because it's rich. And this is what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning. It's what I did this morning. I read little pieces of the Psalms, and I usually rotate. I do Psalms, and then I do something from the New Testament, and I kind of rotate days. I'm going to read this. You read it, and then I want you to find that one little piece that comes out, and I want you to turn that into prayer with the Lord. All right? Again, I know some of you are way down the road on doing this, but for the sake of everyone, we're going to revisit it. Amen? So I'm going to read it. Why don't we read it along together? And I may do it twice, and I want you to find that one thing that kind of stands out to you, and then I want you to close your eyes and under your breath pray it to God. Right? It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, and your faithfulness by night. So just look at it. Let your eyes go over it again. Read through it again. Pull a little piece from it. Might be a few words or a phrase. And then I want you to close your eyes and, and pray that to the Lord under your breath. Just one little piece, not the whole thing. So what piece stood out to you? What was it that you prayed? Somebody holler out at me. Praise the Lord. Okay, how about someone else? I declare your steadfast love in the morning. So when you're seeing patients, working on teeth, that can be in your spirit right throughout the day. I declare your steadfast love. I mean, it's as simple as that. Sometimes we get lost in the whole forest, right? We read all of Psalm 92, and before it's over, we leave with nothing. You get it? So it's good to read a lot of Scripture, but for the day, you want to have a little morsel. You want to take a little arrow prayer with you. How about someone else? What stood out here that you would carry in your quiver, carry in your spirit? Almost high, we sing praise to your name. Now, I noticed you were singing that a little bit. Does that help you if you sing it a little bit? Some of us may not have that ability, but we sing nonetheless. I sing, and my poor dog, Rocky, has to hear me singing every day. But it does something, right? It, there's something, even if it's, I, I kind of chant more than I do anything with melody, and it just kind of takes root all the more in my heart. Pat, would you pray? All this is good for me. Right? What stood out to me was calling him most high even in the night. I, so I would just carry that with me. Lord, I, you are the most high even at night. 
even at night, literal night, but also if I'm walking in some darkness and night on Monday and Tuesday, you're most high. You're most high. So you turn it to conversation with him. Does that make sense? And those of you that have been doing this for some time, we can always grow in this. Praying the words of scripture back to God. You notice there's no commentary. There's no study notes that we're looking at. Oftentimes we get drawn into those things and we think that we're praying. Friends, that's not prayer. Can I speak directly with you today? Some of you need to hear this. To have a daily devotional or read what someone else is saying about the Bible or read a commentary, those are all really good things. But what I'm calling us to is that very focused thing called praying the words of Scripture. Coming to Jesus through the words of the Bible. Coming to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. And opening your book and praying, oh, you are the most high. I should be doing this from the beginning of the day, from the morning to the night. Even in the night, you are most high. All day, I'm calling you are most high. You are king. And so you begin to do that. You practice that day after day, week after week. It changes you. Some of you have experienced that. That is where you get your mind renewed, your heart softened, and you develop friendship with God. And the goal, we talk about this, in praying the Bible, coming to Jesus. Paul talks in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. He says to that church, a new church plant that he's planted in the pagan world that's filled with new believers. And what does he say? How often can they pray through the power of the Holy Spirit? Without ceasing? It's like, Paul, don't you realize you're talking to new believers? Can we put that up there, 1 Thessalonians 5? He's saying this to new Christians, many of whom have gone through deliverance, literally had demons cast out, they've been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now he's saying, church, Thessalonians, you can pray without ceasing. Now, I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask again, is this the word of God? Do you believe it? Is this just a heavy command for you and for me? Pray without ceasing. You must do it to please God. Is that what this is getting at? It's a promise. Every command of scripture is a promise. So the apostle Paul's looking at the church, these Thessalonians, these new believers, a new church plant, and he's saying you can pray without ceasing. You can commune with Jesus through his word throughout the day. That is a promise. And I share this because it's incredibly practical and because the church has been using us and it comes out of Luke 18, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Those 10 words, let's say it together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I've said that you're praying the Bible by doing that. It's a biblical prayer. You're not begging for mercy. You're coming in contact with Jesus who's eager to give you his mercy, and you're calling him Lord. You're calling him Savior. 
You're calling him the anointed king. So you're calling on the name of Jesus. And I've shared openly with you that I try to pray the Bible and sometimes I get into the day and I may forget, what was that in Psalm 92? I may get a little bit of it, but I always have the Jesus prayer in my back pocket. Always. And I've been having a conversation with many of you and you're like, I thought it was a little rote at first, but I've been practicing it through the week and it's actually taken root in my heart and I'm praying the Jesus prayer. Busy moms can pray the Jesus prayer. Busy business people can pray the Jesus prayer. If you give yourself to this, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, his mercy will come to you. Temptation comes your way. Lord Jesus Christ, I turn from that. I receive your mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Friends, this is realistic. It's attainable for everyone, right? That's why I'm dwelling with this. We've got biblical evidence. The Apostle Paul with these new Christians saying you can actually commune with Jesus. You can be in prayer, talking to him, listening to him throughout the day. It's feasible. Now, I've shared some of the stories where I started in this at age 17. I got ambushed by God, and I needed to learn how to read the Bible and how to pray, but it was ridiculous. I would get up before my senior year of high school, and I would open my one-year Bible, and I mean, I've carved out 30 minutes before school, and five days a week, I fell asleep on my Bible. And I drooled on it. So if I still had that one-year Bible, I could open it up and show you all through scriptures, what are those watermarks on the pages? It was my saliva because I was so tired. But nonetheless, I scheduled it. I, I put it in the schedule, and God saw my earnestness. I would get on my knees, open that one-year Bible next to my hunter green quilt that was laid out on my bed, and I would quickly go to sleep. And so finally, after, you know, probably a semester of that, I said, this isn't working so well. I'm going to stand up. And so in my room, I would stand up, hold my one-year Bible, kind of pace around, and I would fall asleep while standing on my feet. Some of you are waving, saying, I've done that too. I mean, there, I remember vividly, literally colliding with the wall and dropping the Bible. I was so tired. But little by little, I learned how to pray the Bible. And God sees our earnestness. And God wants us to be close to him more than we even want. So you young people, it's not too early. Start now. Learn from me. Learn from others how to do this. And I would encourage you to take just a few minutes at the beginning of the day. You can do it at the end of the day. You can do it over a lunch break. But start the day with it. That's the ideal way. Read a little bit of the Bible, pray it to the Lord, and then carry it with you. Secondly, and quickly here, a second tool is balanced fasting. What in the world is fasting? It's giving up something, often good, for something greater. It's self-denial for a greater good. And through fasting, we're training ourselves to turn from normal things and sometimes sinful things so that we can learn to turn from sin. We're training ourselves in righteousness. I love this quote. This is an early church father. Listen to what he says about fasting. And by the way, he's 
about 300 years after Christ. He's in Asia Minor, where we saw Paul planting churches. And so here, this guy, his name's St. Basil. Listen to what he says about fasting. A guy who lived it and practiced it his whole life. Fasting gives birth to prophets. Fasting strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul. A steadfast companion for the body. A weapon for the valiant. A gymnasium for athletes. Fasting repels temptations, anoints unto piety. Fasting is the comrade of watchfulness and the builder of sexual purity. In war, it fights bravely, and in peace, it teaches stillness. Friends, that guy lived practicing fasting, and he writes about it there. A gymnasium for athletes? What in the fasting is a gymnasium for you to work out in? Think about that for a moment. Paul talks about this. We've already looked at 2 Timothy 2, but when he looks at the church, he looks at Timothy, and he says, be a spiritual athlete for Christ. Sit with that for a moment. What is he getting at there? What do athletes do in order to grow, to increase their speed, their strength, so that they can compete at the highest levels? What do they do? They train. I didn't hear you say they lay in bed longer. They stay on the couch longer. They eat whatever they want. I mean, it costs something to be an athlete, doesn't it? So Paul is looking at the church and he's saying, why don't you be a spiritual athlete? That's where that word comes from. Asceticism or ascetic is coming from that root word, athlete. And so the early church had this rich tradition based on the writings of scripture, based on the example of Jesus, who was the greatest spiritual athlete to ever live. And they say, follow in their footsteps. Learn from them. And one of the things that spiritual athletes practice then, including Christ, is fasting. Now, when we get religious and strange about this, that's not what I'm calling us into. Some of us have eating disorders. Some of us already have issues with food. Fasting is probably not the wisest thing for you. Find something else, another exercise, until that gets dealt with. But there is something about self-denial, about turning from even good things, turning from food, and to be open here, I usually do this on Tuesday. And friends, I do it one meal, one meal. I've got really bad digestive issues, and so when I was younger, I did stupid fasting. And I lived in a regular cycle of acid reflux and diarrhea. And so I did stupid stuff. And so now that I'm older, I've gained some wisdom, I've learned from some experienced fasters, I skip one meal on Tuesday. I usually skip lunch, but it kind of puts me in a fasted mindset. And so on Tuesday, I can focus on the Lord and I pray verses like John 4.34. Write this down. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So I invite you, maybe you're a little rusty with fasting, try it. Try skipping one meal and then pray scripture. And I'm telling you by two o'clock, I am ready to eat the paper towels in the kitchen here at the office. I am hungry 
So I'm not floating around in mystical prayer. And I mean, I, matter of fact, I kind of dread it sometimes. Monday rolls around. I'm like, I'm going to skip that meal. I'm going to go through the day. So it's, it's not easy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. But something happens. As I'm praying the Bible, I'm turning to the Lord throughout the day. So friends, let's be a fasting church. Amen? We saw in Acts 13 that the church at Antioch was worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Lord spoke about their mission. A third thing here is involvement in church. We're here. It's communion with Christ and our communion with one another. We talk about Acts 2.42. The early church was devoted to four things. What were they? The apostles' teaching. Say it with me. Fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so the one we're focusing on there is koinonia. It's fellowship. It's being together. It's relationships. Ephesians 5.21 calls it mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this thing called church is beautiful. And we get to come to one another, submit to one another, learn from one another, grind it out together. We work through hard stuff. Some of us come from broken families, and so we get a redo with our spiritual family. We can work through the things. And I think what makes this place such a special community is we persist with one another. We don't give up, right? We lean in if there's difficult conversations to have, there's conflict, we lean in and say, ah, we love each other so much, we're going to work through this. And friends, people that think that they can do Christian life without the church are deluded. If you think, you know what, it's me and Jesus, I'm going to go to church every few months, or I'm going to do church from home in my pajamas with my egos or donuts, you're deluded. Jesus set this up for us to mutually submit to one another, to belong to one another as the body of Christ. And I don't know about your body, but my hand doesn't just take off and go hang out in a different part of the house and say, hey, I'll see you in a few days. No, it's joined to me. We're joined to one another. And if you want friendship with God and you want a history with God, then you've got to learn to do life in the local church. Amen? All right, I'm going to end with this, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table. The fourth thing is giving. And can I be pastoral for a minute? Um, The scriptures show us that God gives more and more of himself and his resources to those who are generous. Reading 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, look what it says here. The Apostle Paul says again to a group of somewhat new believers at the church of Corinth, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Look at this right here. This is the heart of the text. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. So the text says many things, but it says God loves a cheerful giver and that God will provide those who cheerfully give with more and more. 
So if you want to be close to God, there is a place of sharing in his generosity. I've been honest. I'm going to be honest again today. I have not done a very good job talking about this. I've asked you to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me again. I don't talk enough about this. And some of my mentors did, and I didn't get it. John Wimber, some of you have read his works. Some of you have seen the videos on him. Steve Nicholson, our kind of our church mentor, influenced by, by him. Listen to what John Wimber used to say. If you want to know how someone's discipleship to Christ is going, look at their checkbook. Ouch. He would also say this, and again, I've asked if I can, I've asked for your forgiveness because I haven't done a good job on talking about this, but I'm going to start talking about it, especially for the sake of young people, our young adults. John Wimber would also say, if you want to know who is really committed to a particular local church and the ministries flowing there, look at their checkbook. So some of you already know this, and you're already a generous giver and you're sharing in the generosity of God. That's wonderful. You're a model for us. Some of us don't do this. And so you are missing out on friendship with the generous giver, God. And I know the reason I don't say much about this is because of all the weirdness out there, people begging for money and manipulating and all that. But I feel like the Lord calling me to a new place of maturity. You don't stop because everyone's doing it wrong. You actually step up and point to what the scriptures say and invite the church into generous giving so that you can experience the blessing of God, the generous giver. So friends, I want some of you to feel uncomfortable right now. I want you to go home and say, you know what? I, I make a lot of money and I, I don't give to the Lord's ministry. I don't support missionaries. I don't support church planners. I don't support ministry to the poor. And I want you to feel uncomfortable and I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And myself included in this, I want to grow in this because we're missing out on things. Jake, a few years ago, we were talking about this, and I've had to apologize to him personally for not really growing him as a young man in this very thing. One Sunday, we had a missionary church planter here. She was talking. Things are tight for her. Jake has a $20 bill burning in his pocket, and he feels prompted to go and give it to that missionary church planter that we had speaking here. And I mean, she just broke down, bawling. And Jake's eyes lit up. He was like, this is cool. This actually feels good. I get to participate in the generosity of God as a young man. So I want to invite you young people. I'm not saying you need to start giving it all. What's the, the woman has the little mite, the little coin that she puts in. I'm inviting us as a church to be generous and to participate in God's kingdom work. And I'm trying to do it as tactfully as possible and as graciously but strongly as well. If the church is serving and sowing into your life, the life of your family, the life of your children, somebody's got to pay the pastor, the youth pastor. Those of you that send your kids into youth, and I mean, you've got people praying and fasting and pouring into your kids, who's going to pay? So, is that all right? Let's grow as a church, beginning with your pastor, on sharing in the generosity of God. So it's prayer, it's fasting, 
It's community involvement, working through the hard stuff with each other, and then it's growing as a church so that the Lord can entrust more and more to us. And I, I want to give it away. I want to get, as stuff comes in, we do what we need to do to keep the ministries going, but we're going to give away, we're going to plant churches, and we want to touch people around this region and in the nations. Amen?